that's happening in the life of the church, and we're grateful for your participation and involvement in the ministries of Grace and Peace. Uh, it's hard to believe that summer is over and school is starting um, very, very soon. So uh, as we transition into the fall, we're going to be finishing our Summer of Psalms series today. I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 8. And then just wanted to give an update for what we're doing in the fall. We're going to be preaching through the book of Exodus. And in Psalm 8, a question that gets asked is, God, do you care? Uh, do you care for your people? And that's a question that the people ask God throughout their journey in the Exodus. And as I've already mentioned, it's a question that you and I ask constantly. God, do you really care for us? Are you there for us? Are you with us in our need? And both Psalm 8 and uh, the book of Exodus answer it for us in beautiful, beautiful ways. So uh, we've got a great uh, lineup this fall of uh, preachers and people coming in to teach us through the book of Exodus. But we'll conclude today with Psalm 8. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word, and we acknowledge that you are the majestic God. And we ask that as we come to your word, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up, and that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Does God care? What an important question. What, what a difficult question to ask ourselves. It's a question that I asked myself at one particular moment in my life number of years ago. I found myself in a hard situation. It was midnight, and I hadn't slept at all. And uh, I tried to get up, and I immediately fell back down because I was dizzy and nauseous. Everything in my body was aching, and I was wondering what I was doing at 16,000 feet with about another 6,000 feet to go. I was at the base of Mount Ampato in Peru with a good friend, Chris Bolton, and our guide, Mickey Zarate. And three weeks earlier, very stupidly and foolishly, we went into Mickey's office and said, we'd like to climb a mountain. And he said, well, do you want to go up the tourist way or do you want to go up my way? And we said, well, what's your way? And he said, to attack it. And we kind of looked at each other and said, uh, we think we can handle the attacking way. Let's attack it. And so for the next three weeks, uh, we began to train running all around the city of Arequipa. Uh, I ran with 
kids on my back with books in my backpack. My favorite mode of training was to catch a combi bus, which if you've been to other countries, you know, is a little minivan that's built to hold about seven people, but in reality holds about 25. Take that van to the bottom of the hill and run up the hill and then take the van back down and do it a few times each day. Uh, as I ran and got onto these combi buses, I could see uh, people looking at me very strangely and wondering, what is this gringo doing in our city with a backpack full of books sitting in our combi, running all around? And I would tell them, I'm Rocky Balboa, <laughs> training to fight Apollo Creed. And I knew that they understood well, I did this for three whole weeks, and now on the 22nd day of my training, the test day, I was at the base of Mont Anpato, and my body was telling me how I was not ready to face this challenge. So as I was struggling to know what to do, I asked Mickey, our guide, what my options were. He said, well, we have three. Number one is we could leave you here, and Chris and I go on ahead and see how far we get. Number two is we could all go back to the van together. And number three is we could climb and see how far we get together. I said, what? Tell me more about option one. I'd like that option. He said, well, the problem with option one is that the last time we did that, the guy that we left behind was passed out when we came back to him, and I had to carry him down to the truck, and there's no way that I could carry you. So actually, option one is out. And I said, well... Give me a minute to think about it. And as I thought about option two or three, a bunch of thoughts began to flood through my mind. What am I doing here? Who am I to think that I could tackle a challenge like this? What does it mean to be human and to be on a side of a rock so vast, so expansive, does God care for me? Does he care about me in this moment? Is God there for me? And there I was on a side of a mountain in South America, a piece of frozen rock, having this philosophical conversation about my value and significance and worth, and Mickey interrupting me in this important self-dialogue to say, what decision have you made? Well, the questions that flooded my mind on Mount Ampato are questions of great importance. They're questions of our identity. There's quest they're questions that determine how we live. Who am I? Who am I in relation to the rest of creation? Is there a creator? Does this creator love me and care for me? And as Westerners, we've tended to answer the question, who are we? Who am I? In a number of of ways. On the one hand, we've had an overinflated view of man. We've said that man is essentially divine. We've described man in God-like terms. We've described our achievements and our accomplishments, what we've done as people in divine terms. And in this view, the line between God and man is foolishly, foolishly blurred, erasing the distinction. We're proud, thinking that somehow we're equal to God. On the other hand, we've had an underinflated view of man. We've tended to describe man in evolutionary terms, reductionistic terms, saying that there's really nothing that separates man from the animals or man from 
the rest of creation, that the way that we've come together as humans is random, it's by chance. And so we've had this underinflated view of mankind. And we've foolishly blurred the lines between the dignity of man and the rest of creation. And as people who are constantly bouncing back and forth between these two views in our culture, an overinflated view and an underinflated view, we need perspective. We need a fresh understanding on how to think about ourselves. And Psalm 8, friends, gives us that fresh perspective. Psalm 8 tells us who we are. Psalm 8 tells us who we are in relation to the rest of creation. It tells us who we are in relation to the Creator. And as we look at Psalm 8, it's important for us to ground us in this reality of who we are as humans, as creatures, as people. And Psalm 8 essentially tells us to do two things that we want to look at together. First, Psalm 8 says, look up. Look up. Do you want to know your place in the world? Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to have a guiding principle and understanding of how to live in this world? Then you have to look up. And secondly, Psalm 8 says, look out. You want to know who you are? Look out. Look out and have uh, principles and guidelines to help you understand who you are. So look up and look out. First, you'll never understand who you are until you look up and you begin to realize the greatness and the majesty and the glory and the honor and the strength and the wisdom of God. The psalm begins by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalm closes with these exact same words. So these two thoughts bookend this psalm, God's greatness, God's glory. God is the one who is our Lord, the one who is faithful, the one who keeps his promises, the one who is merciful and kind and compassionate and loving. This is the God that we're called to look up to. So if you want to understand who you are, you first have to look up. You first have to realize who you are in relationship to this God, the one who made you the one who loves you, the one who sustains you, the one who cares for you. Look up and behold his greatness and his goodness and his glory. And David goes on in the psalm to describe this God in a number of ways. David, David describes him in kingly language as the one who is enthroned, the one who rules, the one who governs, the one who is sovereign over all things. And we need to put ourselves in an ancient context. And putting ourselves in an ancient context, we're going to understand what David is saying in the words of these psalms a little bit better. You see, in the ancient world, whoever ruled on earth ruled in the heavens. Or whoever ruled in the heavens ruled on the earth. You see, the ancients believed that human rule human authority, human governments that had power and majesty were reflections of divine authority, divine power, divine majesty, and vice versa. Divine majesty and divine power and divine greatness were manifest 
on the earth. So for example, if Egypt is the most powerful and the most mighty nation, then that means that the Egyptian gods are the ones who are ruling and enthroned and powerful in the heavens. If the Philistines are the ones who are ruling on the earth, then that means that the Philistine gods are the ones that are ruling and majestic and powerful in the heavens. But David does something strange for us. David says that it's Israel's God, our Lord, who is majestic in all the earth, who's majestic in all the heavens. And David doesn't give that same honor to Israel. Notice how David describes Israel. David describes Israel as a baby, as an infant. David is saying, even if Israel is weak, even if Israel is humbled, our God is strong. Even if Israel is being ruled over, our God still rules. Even if Israel isn't majestic as a nation, our God still is. And David is saying the proof of our God is not like the other nations. The proof of our God that he rules, that he reigns, that he's majestic, is in fact that he has cared for people like us. Mere infants. Mere babies. What strength does a baby have? None. What power does a baby have? None. A baby is dependent. A baby needs to be sustained. And David is saying that's who we are. We are people who need to be sustained. And with this in mind, David and Israel were called to live not like the nations in thinking that if they won a battle, if they defeated the Philistines, if they defeated their neighbors, if they were somehow strong and mighty in war, that they should conclude it's because we're so strong, we're so mighty, we're so powerful. But rather, David wants Israel to remind themselves over and over and over again that when they are victorious, it's not due to their might and their strength. It's due to God's might and God's strength. They are mere babies. They should see themselves as babies, and they should see God as a high, exalted, majestic one. And only when they saw themselves in this humility would they have a proper view of who they really are. And friends, the same is true for us. We need to first look up, and in looking up, realize how big God is, how great God is, how majestic God is, how mighty God is, how powerful God is, and see ourselves as mere infants in relationship to him. So if you really want to understand who you are, if you really want to understand your place in the world, if you really want to have a proper identity, first look up. Look up to see the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God. And as you look up, you're going to ask yourselves a whole host of questions. And one of the, the questions that you're going to ask is at the very center of this psalm, does God care for us? Does God care for me? 
Does the one who's so mighty and so exalted and so high truly care for me and my weakness and my lowliness and my humility? Does he care for me as I struggle in my relationships? Does he care for me as I struggle in my work? Does he care for me as I struggle to raise children? Does he care for me as I struggle to uh, fight uh, my aging body? Does he struggle or does he care for me as I struggle to fight something big like cancer? Does he struggle in all the struggles that we have? Does he love me and care for me in the midst of life's struggles? And that's a question that we all need to ask. And some of us might be here this morning and we can answer confidently, yes, he cares for me in those struggles. Others might answer just as confidently, no, he doesn't care for me in those struggles. And many of us might say, some days I I just don't really know. Some days I'm more certain, other days I'm less certain. And the overwhelming answer of Scripture is a resounding yes. The Almighty cares for you. The Almighty loves you. The Almighty is concerned about you. And this is what we need to do as people. First, look up and realize the type of God that we have, a God who loves us and cares for us, who is faithful and provides for us what we need. And the proof of God's care as we make our way through Scripture is that this Lord, this majestic one, whose name is glorious in all the earth, sent his one and only son as a baby, as an infant. And this infant would be the one who would still the greatest foe, the greatest avenger, the avenger of sin and death and evil. This is how much God cares for us, that he sent his son to live and to die and to be raised for us, to save us so that we might know him. So that's the first thing we have to do. Look up. Look up and realize the type of God that you have. And when you know this God, you'll know yourself. Secondly, look out. The psalmist in many ways tells us to look out. Look out into God's world and find your identity by looking out into the world and seeing the needs of the world, seeing where the world needs order and restoration and peace and renewal and hope. And this psalm teaches us to look out into that world and to be people who organize God's good world, who help renew God's good world, who help restore God's good world. Now, in light of what we said about looking up and seeing our smallness and having a humble posture, we might say, well, we can't really do any good in the world. The, the problems of the world, the complexities of the world, they're too overwhelming. What are, what are we going to do? As we look at the news, as we look at current events, as we look at all the ways in which society is crumbling around us, we might say, you know, man's insignificant. Man can't do anything to bring order, to bring peace, to bring grace and renewing and justice to the world. And if we answered these questions along these lines, we'd be dead wrong. 
For what this psalm teaches us is man has great significance and meaning in ordering God's world. God has placed man in charge of his world. We have dignity, we have value, we have worth, we have significance in our lives as we look out and seek to order the world the way that God has called us to order it. And this psalm harkens back to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we discover who man really is. A true king in God's world, a true priest in God's world, one who is called to care for God's world and rule over God's world in his name. And as we look at this verse and as we see that God has called us to be caretakers of his world, we have to confess that we haven't done very well. We haven't done the job that God has entrusted to us like we should. And so we need grace to become true caretakers, to become true regents, to become true rulers in his name. And what this causes us to do is to look to Jesus, to look to the one who is the true son of man, the one who is the true Adam, the one who lived in God's world the way that God intended from the very beginning, the one who was a true servant, the one who was a true king. And because he lived the life that God intended humans to live, what did God do to him? God exalted him. And now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And everything has been entrusted to the Son And he now shares in his father's majesty. He shares in his father's rule. And as a true Lord, little by little, what Jesus is doing in his world is restoring it to be a place of truth, a place of justice, a place of peace, a place of love, a place of flourishing. He's putting back together what's been broken in his world. Finally, finally. There's a human. Finally, there's a son of man. Finally, there's a son of Adam who's sharing in God's rule the way that God intended from the beginning. Finally, we have someone who's in charge that we can have confidence in. And his name is Jesus. And here's the shocking and the amazing and the scandalous claim of Christianity is that our God reigns. That Jesus reigns over his world. That all things have been put under his feet. And that he uses us to reorder his world. He uses us to fix what is broken. In Jesus, we become participants We become partakers of his care and of his love and of his concern for his good world. In Jesus, we embody and we express God's loving presence wherever we go as we seek to live in his name and be stewards of what's been entrusted to us. So if you want to know who you are, you first got to look up. Look up and and know this God. Behold him and his wonderful majesty. And then look out and see needs in his world. See where his 
world needs to be reordered and restored. And realize you're not a piece of dirt. You're not a cog in the wheel. You're not an accident. You are the image of the true God. And he loves you and he cares for you and he's faithful to you. And he's entrusted a little, teeny, tiny piece of his world to you. He's entrusted a household to you. He's entrusted some work to you. He's entrusted some relationships to you. He's entrusted some hobbies to you. And he wants you to to care and nurture those things in his name, to be part of the reordering and the renewal of his good world. Well, on that night that I was having this philosophical conversation with myself, Mickey uh, woke me up from my deep thought and said, what are you choosing? What are you doing? I said, let's take door number three. Let's see how far we can get. So we began to climb. I didn't feel well. Uh, We began to set out, and for six hours, we hiked slowly, but surely in the bitter cold. At 7 a.m., the sun began to come out, and things began to get a little bit harder. We had ascended a little bit, but we could see that there was still much more to go. And Mickey had climbed this mountain over 200 times. And so he was way out ahead of us, cheering us on, calling us, saying, join me, waiting for us most of the time. Uh, But he was setting out the path that we could follow. And then my friend Chris was at my side, challenging me and encouraging me and strengthening me to keep pushing on. And at 9.30, I had an experience that uh, I've never had in life, probably never will again. We reached the summit. And the view from the top was breathtaking. Mountain after snow-capped mountain stretched as far as the eye could see. You could see communities and villages, farms. You could see off in the distance the city of Arequipa. From here, you had a better understanding both of your smallness, who am I and compared to the rest of creation, and of your dignity. Wow, this is amazing. We've just done something that that very few people have done. From here, you realize that you're both a baby and a king. The journey for me up Mount Ampato was a picture of the Christian life. It was a picture of our identity in Christ. Ahead of us as we journey through all the twists and turns of life is Jesus, our older brother. He knows the way. He's gone home. He's ruling in his home. And he's preparing a place for us. And he's calling us, join me, follow me. Live as I lived. I've shown you the path. Walk down that path. And beside us is the Holy Spirit challenging us and encouraging us to keep going, to keep moving, to keep seeking after justice, seeking after peace, seeking after truth in a world that needs it desperately, seeking along with Christ to make all things new. Friends, we're privileged to live in this world, 
to be those who belong to our Savior, to be those who, in small but real ways, participate in his rule as we seek to make everything new. Several years ago, I was privileged to go back to Peru, this time not to climb a mountain, but to build a wall, a different type of wall than we hear about in our news these days. It was a wall for a school. And I took uh, 14 uh, boys and dads down to Peru, and for a week, we worked on a wall. And we built a little wall, tried to build it as straight as possible, had a lot of help in straightening out our bricks. And after a week, we left. And we didn't know what that wall would become. They told us that it was going to become a school, but the school in their mind was still just a dream. And as I reflected on that work, I thought, you know, we spent a lot of time spent a lot of money, and we haven't built the greatest wall. Uh, what have we really done? But as that wall has been there now for five or six years, what's happened to that wall is that it's become a home. It's become a place where children are gathering, families are gathering to pray, to study, to learn. It's a safe place for them to know about themselves. It's a safe place to them to know about the world. It's a safe place for them to learn about their God. And that wall has become a garden. It's become a home for these children and these families. It's become a place where they get to experience God's goodness and God's grace in countless ways. And that's just a picture and illustration of our lives as well. As you live this week, look up. Look up to the God who loves you. Look up to the God who cares for you. Look up to the God who knows you and seek to live for him as you look out into his world. And as you do countless things, some of them very mundane, some of them you may question, why am I doing this? Look out into God's world as one who is reordering and reshaping his world, the world that God loves so much, the world that God is committed to the world that God cares for as the people that God cares for. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you that you have caused us in small but real ways, all of us individually searching for you, seeking you, wanting to know you, that you have caused us to look up to you and to get a glimpse of your greatness and your majesty and your worth. Lord, help us to do that more and more, and a little bit better each day and each week of our lives. Lord, as we look out into the world and as we see the needs of the world in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our households, we ask that you might use the gifts and graces that you've entrusted to us to care for the world that you love so much. Thank you that we are people that you love people that you care for, and that we live in a world that you love and that you care for. So help us to continue to journey well as those who belong to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.